Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Excuse me. Chapter 2. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves circumcised, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ you were you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside his flesh the law with its commands and regulations his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The word of the Lord. Hey, Gentiles. Yeah, you. Remember, you are outsiders, foreigners, separated. You ain't one of us. You can't come in here. What an awful place to be on the outside looking in separated from those in the inner circle. But there you are, the have-not in the middle of the haves, nose against the window, wondering what it's like to be in there. And they're not making it any easier either. They're there ignoring you, standing around with their coffee cups, chatting away with all the other in people feeling very comfortable being on the inside while you're on the outside. We've all been there at a party, invited by the host, but they're over there talking to the other guests, and here you are, standing against the wall, trying to act like you belong, like you really didn't crash the party, and you really have been invited. Or it's the first day of school when suddenly you're a freshman. Or a freshman again. <laughs> you know some people and you cling to them like a lifeboat. Others you know who they are, but that's about it. And then there are those you don't know at all. We're trying really hard not to stand, up, stand out, not to do something 
stupid or say something to embarrass yourself. Being on the outside is awful and nobody wants to be there. But there has always been a dividing line, a wall between us and them, a way to keep us in and them out. It happens every day, the division between you and me, rich, poor, young, old, sick, healthy, married, single, gay, straight, black, white, management, worker bees. Where there are two, where two or three have gathered, there's going to be a division. She had worked hard all week and she was tired. She had gotten on the city bus to go home. It was quitting time all over the city and the bus was full. Nothing unusual about that. But today was to be most unusual. This black woman would not give up her seat to that white man, and she was arrested. We all know the story. On December the 1st, 1955, Rosa Park decided she was fed up. She was in her 40s. She was not a child. Rosa said, there comes a point when you say, no, I am a citizen too. This is not the way I should be treated. And the bus boycott of Montgomery, Alabama began. It lasted 381 days and the civil rights movement was started. Here we are, 50 years later, and we still don't get it. Tom Brokaw is doing a report tonight, I think, on the fact that we are still separated by color and we are still very unequal. What happened to the one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all? We teach our children the pledge to the flag. My two-and-a-half-year-old great-nephew can say the Pledge of Allegiance because he's been taught that. But are we teaching him what it means to have liberty and justice for all? His name was Lynn and he was a counselor turned construction contractor. I met him on a telephone dating service before the internet dating was the thing. You could post an ad of sorts about yourself on the voicemail that others could listen to, and then if they were interested, they would leave you a message with their phone number, and then if you were interested, you could call them back. Lynn had left a message on my voicemail, and I had called him back. This was our first conversation. We talked and laughed and were really having a good time for about 30 or 45 minutes. And then he asked the question, now, what is it that you do? <laughs> the kiss of death. There is no way to tell a man that you're a Baptist clergy woman in a way that's alluring. Men don't want to date clergy women. They figure you're not going to sleep with them on the first day, so what's the point? And they would be right. <laughs> anyway, I told him I was a Baptist minister in the sexiest voice I could muster. <laughs> His response was, well, that's okay. It's 
not like you got a wooden leg or something. <laughs> I swear this is a true story. <laughs> I told him that, as a matter of fact, I did. <laughs> After convincing him I wasn't making that up, the conversation ended. Like Rosa Parks, I am a whole person. And I was, I, and that was the not, that was not the way I wanted to be treated. The Jews had done the same thing to the Gentiles. The Jews were circumcised. The in crowd, God's chosen. God had blessed them, multiplied them, and protected them. They were the citizens of the kingdom of God. And then there was everybody else, namely the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, the foreigners. Not on God's top ten list. The Jews were in. The Gentiles, out. It has been this way for so long, we think it's supposed to be this way. We don't think much about it anymore. Lebanon and Israel are still fighting even as we speak. It's interesting, the interesting thing about this is that at the Miss Universe pageant or Miss World or Miss whatever that is, Miss Lebanon and Miss Israel have become friends. And then we read Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Huh. You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Therefore, you are no longer two, but one. Paul tells us that the whole purpose of Jesus handing up his own body wasn't to abolish the law, doing away with this whole uncircumcised, circumcised thing, but to create in himself one new humanity out of two. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but full citizens. We're in. So now that we're in, what does that mean? First, I think we remember that being in means we're home. Coming home means that we're a part of something. We belong. We are, we are a member of something much bigger than just one individual. We have family. We are family. Home is the one place where you know you are loved, welcomed, and safe in spite of our best efforts to prove otherwise sometimes. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Neither the younger son who left nor the older son who stayed knew the power of their family, the security of home. Remember that you are part of God's household and you are welcome here. There are more things that bring us together that we hold in common and there are that separate us. And this week has been a tragic reminder of that. The death of Ryan Owens has thrown us all for a loop. I saw firsthand how the whole hospital went into grief. The ER staff went into procedure mode. They did their jobs with skill and talents, but their heads were still with Ryan and his family. On Thursday, the entire hospital was quiet, like there had been a death. 
I know that sounds weird because people die at the hospital and death is not a new visitor to the quarters. But this death was different. This death wasn't supposed to happen no matter what the reason. Sixteen-year-olds are not supposed to get up one morning, eat breakfast, kiss their mothers, walk out the door, and die. We are reminded of those things we have in common. How many of us, when we learned of Ryan's death, picked up the phone and called our children or talked to our parents? I have a nephew who plays football for Hanover College. I called Alan just to hear his voice and to tell him I loved him. I said a prayer of thanksgiving for each of my nieces and nephews and their parents and thanked God for the opportunity to share in their lives. We are members of God's household. We are family, and we have a home. Secondly, now that we understand that we are one body and we are fellow citizens, we remember that we belong to each other. Belonging to each other means we take care of each other. Sometimes it's just the small things. Leo Bascalia says that too often we understand, we underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of which has the potential to turn around a life. Those are powerful things. And when you do them, you think it's no big deal. But it can mean the difference between a good day and a lousy day for someone. As Ryan's family was leaving the hospital Wednesday morning, I started to leave the ER. And Dr. Newberry, who had been on the front line of this whole ordeal, turned to me and said, thanks for being here. Dave Latham, my boss, had gotten the call first and had done the front lines with the work, uh, with the family. I was just there to support him and the hospital staff. But that thank you from Dr. New D Dr. Newberry made all the difference in the rest of my day. We belong to each other. It is our responsibility to take care of each other, and most of the time it's the little things in life that make the difference. But sometimes it means doing the big things as well. Belonging to each other may mean saying you're sorry when you've shot your mouth off just one too many times. Or asking for forgiveness when you got caught up in the juicy part of a story and you didn't keep a confidence that you said you would. Or paying the consequences when you used poor judgment and made a really bad decision. Or even holding someone else accountable rather than letting it slide one more time. It's hard to belong. It's hard to find reconciliation when you've been hurt. It's hard to talk and try to work things out rather than beating up on each other or blowing each other up. It's a scary world we live in right now when it seems that we have narrowed the choices down to guns who kill each other one at a time or a more efficient way of weapons of mass destruction. Why can't George Bush and Vladimir Putin and Tony Blair and what's-his-name Ill from North Korea and all the other folks from the G8 summit get together and say, look, y'all, this is not working. 
We need to find another way to resolve this. Killing each other off is not the answer. Now let's sit down and take another look at these things. What would happen if the big five oil company CEOs got together and said, you know, we've made a lot of money and I really don't need one more vacation spot on the south of France. How, how about we take a cue from Bill and Linda Gates? Let's pool our money and do something that otherwise can't be done. Let's leave a real legacy for our children. What would happen if Mayor Lackey and the city commissioners said, okay, Henderson, what are the top three needs of this community? Those things that no one person or no one group can do on their own. Let's do that. Lest you sit there in your chair and say to yourself, yeah, you preach it, sister, you tell them. Let us remember what Jesus himself taught us. Greater love has, has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. We tend to associate, associate that with Jesus' death for us. But I think we can lay down our lives for each other every day by putting others' needs ahead of our own. Could you lay down your time this fall to work with Upward Basketball? Lay down a chunk of your time and talents to coach a team? Could you lay down one day a week to read to the kids at Bengate Elementary? Could you offer a couple of Saturdays a month to help build a Habitat house? Could you offer one Saturday and visit folks at Red Banks or Medco who may otherwise have no one else to visit them? Would you be willing to forego your daily latte and write a check to the Christian Outreach? Or pick up two of everything you get on your next trip to the grocery store and then take half of it to the food pantry? We belong to each other for Pete's sake. Isn't it, isn't getting out of bed in the morning just easier when you know you're going to be part of something bigger than yourself and your own little world? Wouldn't it be great to be surrounded by people who want what's best for each other, who will be there for each other, who will act in everyone's best interest, who enjoy being together? Wonder what that would be like. Oh yeah. The kingdom of God. Huh. When we are one body, citizens of one kingdom, belonging to one another, we become a dwelling place for God and God's spirit. Not only do we belong to each other, but we also belong to God, the ultimate head of the family. Paul reminds us in Ephesians that God's purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. When we become one body and God dwells within us, there is peace. Wonder what it would be like to get up tomorrow morning and turn on the news and hear Dan Katz and Beth Sweeney say the war in Iraq is over. A peace agreement has been reached. They have decided to dismantle the weapons and send the troops home and work this thing out face to face at the table. For when God dwells within us, there is peace. Wonder what it would be like to have to tear down prisons 
because we respect each other too much to steal or kill or do harm. Wonder what it would be like to trust each other and not care what color our skin is. Wonder what it would be like to, to celebrate each other's accomplishments and not be jealous or do the competitive thing. Wonder what it would be like to rejoice with those who rejoiced. families and not care if there are two mommies or two daddies or one of each. For when God dwells within us, there is peace. God's love and peace is big enough for all of us. And because God first loved us while we were yet sinners, goof-ups and no good people, Christ died for us. He came to teach us and redeem us, and now it's our turn to pay it forward, to love one another, to accept one another, to live as the body of, to live as one body, the body God created us to be. So now and go and remember, you Gentiles, that you are now citizens of the kingdom. You belong, you have a home, you are welcome here. So come on in, have a seat, join us. Coffee's on. Amen. We are one in this congregation. You are invited to join us. Coffee's on. Let's stand as we sing. Mercy.
go before you. May God's grace walk by your side. May God's courage nudge you from behind. And may peace catch up with you and follow you all the way home. In the name of our brother, Jesus the Christ. Amen.